Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Matthew 21. This is the parable of the landowner. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. And it says this in verse 33 of 21. Listen to another parable. This is Jesus' words. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. Rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned the third. Again, verse 36, he sent another group of slaves. This is interesting. Larger than the last group. Okay? And they did the same thing to them, but afterward, he sent his son to them. Kind of seeing the parallel now, right? When the son enters the picture. He sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Let's kill him. Seize in his and seize in his inheritance. So they took him, threw him out of the vineyard. Sound familiar? They drug Jesus out of the city. And killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? Now, he's talking to Pharisees at this time. And these are men of reason. And this is a pretty reasonable. This isn't like a backwards kingdom kind of thing. This is like a, hey, common sense tells you what he's going to do, right? So they answer. And they said to him, well, he'll bring those wretches to a wretched end. And will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. And Jesus said to them, did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. Oh, now they realize who they are in the story. They're the vine growers that beat up the slaves and will be given to a people. Some of your Bibles say a nation, which is interesting. It's probably better translated from the Greek ethnos as nation, producing the fruit of it. Verse 44 says, And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. So there's some things that we need to learn here, and we're just going to kind of walk through this character by character. And the, the first thing is there's some stuff that we need to learn about the father, who is, you guessed it, in the story, the landowner, right? Number one, the first thing that stood out to me is in this parable, the landowner is the beginning and the end. And the father, saints, is the beginning and the end. The father does not just get a... Uh, uh, disgruntled or discouraged because the vine growers beat up his slaves, killed some more, and then murdered his son. No, he's ferocious about his harvest. And he steps back in, becomes the omega, and seals this with a final solution. And listen, we're kind of doing things a little backwards here. You know, we kind of started with the altar call and the song this morning. And so in same fashion, if you're in the room this morning 
and you're in the middle of something that felt like it started really good, like, hey, there's a vineyard growing here. Hey, there's a wall around it and a tower and a wine press, and I get it, and God's all over this. But then it kind of seemed like God went on a journey, and you're wrestling with that. You're struggling with that right now. You can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. If that's you in the room, would you stand to your feet? Is there anybody in here? Stay standing. Anybody else? Yeah. It's good. Good. Stay standing. Anybody else? You know him as the alpha, and you need to see him be the omega. You know him as the beginning. He's been faithful. He got something started, but you're in a place right now where you think this thing's never going to end. If you're around these folks, would you just stretch a hand towards them this morning? We're going to practice what we talked about at the altar here, and we are going to declare over our, I think, brothers and sisters. Yeah, over there in the back, stretch a hand. There's a couple of guys in the back there. Stretch a hand and declare our God is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He's never left one thing undone, unfinished, and he will bring every good thing he started to the day of completion. And so, God, we speak light and life over our brothers and sisters this morning. We speak the fullness of your counsel. God, not just the opening pages, not just the prologue or chapter one, two, three, four, or five. God, this isn't a choose your own ending. You have already chosen the ending and you have already spoken it to be. And so God, we come into agreement with what you have spoken over the lives of your sons and daughters in this room today. And so God, for those who are wrestling in the middle of it right now, God, I pray that they would lock eyes with Jesus Christ and that they would feel themselves carried to this next glory. We trust you with it, and we thank you for it. We seal it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You don't have to feel anything. You just got to believe it. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Ooh, bunch of Pentecostals in here. We just like to feel stuff. Help us, Lord. Ooh. He's the beginning and the end. Okay, second thing we need to learn about the Father, and this one's tough, but he entrusts, he entrusts, he entrusts his harvest to the frailty of man. He entrusts his harvest, he entrusts his whole kingdom to the frailty, to the brokenness, to the propensity and proclivities of man. That's hard. We want God to like be better than that. We want God to, 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 to be beyond the susceptibility and all things God related to be beyond the susceptibility of failure. And I'll tell you what, that has gotten us in so much trouble as the church because what happens is the more and more we associate a man or a woman with God, the more and more we deem them unfit to fail and then they fail and everything falls apart and now they're making documentaries on it why because it's interesting people like this this is this is real life but it's not supposed to be we're supposed to know we're supposed to know going all the way back 
to watching God and his grace move through the judges, who, by the way, every one of them were far from perfect, to move through the, the, the patriarchs, to move through Moses. Here he is, Moses, Abraham. These guys are, are like bombing. You know what I'm saying? There's, we don't oftentimes preach on it, but it's like there's some epic fails in like God's generals. You know what I'm saying? And yet his selection, he's, he's not looking for the most righteous person. Yeah? Some of y'all are like, I am the most righteous person, so I should be chosen. If this is a rubric of righteousness, like on that metric alone, I should be able to oversee a greenhouse. I'm going to tell you to send that email to Wally Wilds. <laughs> Wally at HPC. Yeah. Frank at the open house the other night blew me up, put my, put my email right out there to receive all the King's complaint. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just going to put Wally out there to dry. He was on vacation for the last, like, I don't know, six months or something. That was like, that was like a sabbatical you took in Arizona. I don't even know. He had to, like, change his driver's license and stuff. He was there so long. God help him. Anyway, good to have you back, everybody. Can we just love on Wally? This place is not the same when you're not here. That's all your vacation time for a while. He entrusts the harvest to the frailty of, of man. And finally, towards the end of the parable, we see him, uh, we see him continuing to entrust, not because he finally found a people, a nation that wasn't broken or, or hadn't fallen short of the glory of God. No. He finds a people he can give it to, who he can trust with it, and who will do with it what he wants. We're going to get more on that later, but the point is, he's not done yet. And no matter how bad you feel like things have spiraled, no matter how uh, rotten it seems like we are in a place, trust that the Father knows what he's doing, that he has not handed you over to the enemy. If you're going after him, even in the book of Romans, when it says, okay, the handing them over part, it's because of the rebelliousness in their own hearts. No matter where you're at in this place this morning, saints, if you say today, God, I'm all yours, you're his. There's not a vetting process. There's not a, there's not a okay, well, I got to see if you're for real or not. No. If that is the desire of your heart, is to surrender your life back over to Jesus Christ, then don't wait. Don't wait for somebody to tell you it's okay. Somebody might not. The Father already has. Okay? Let's keep going. He's not done yet. There's still a plan for the harvest. For you evangelists in the room who have gotten discouraged, you uh, who minister, you who pastor, you shepherds in the room, you prophets and teachers, um, we are in dark days. And even this was part of the plan. Yeah. It's like Dave just said. It's like even the battles that it looks like we lost or we're losing, God is accomplishing something that can only be won through what appears to be lost. Right. We've got to come to terms with that as the bride in the world in 2023. Okay, now we learned something about the vine growers too. Let's talk about the vine growers. Um, because really, 
in a lot of ways, we are the vine growers, all right? I can't preach to you guys all the time like you're a generation of, of ministers of the gospel of Jesus only during the good sermons and then during the hard sermons be like, yeah, but this is about somebody else. No, this is about, this is about the ones who've been entrusted, okay? This is about the ones to whom he has given the rights, the access, the stewardship and responsibility of the kingdom. So what do we learn about the vine growers? Number one, the field isn't ours. The field isn't ours. The wall built around the field isn't ours. The wine press isn't ours. The tower isn't ours. And the harvest most definitely is not ours. Okay? Anybody in here a landlord? And you got you don't have to raise your hand. I see that. Yeah. You got you got tenants. You got tenants. There's people in your house. I was a landlord for four years because I couldn't sell my house. Not because I like woke up one morning and I was like, I want to be a landlord. It wasn't that. It wasn't that at all. It was because my house wasn't selling. Seemed like a battle lost until we realized that the Lord was actually accomplishing something much greater. Another another story. I've got a hundred of those, thousand maybe. Um, and it was a really difficult four years. Um, I felt like I was in this constant state of, of having to remind our tenants that this house is not yours. This house, this yard, this driveway, that attic, this basement, the siding, those windows, the electric panel, the plumbing, not yours. But a lot of times, see, we get it when it, when it, when it belongs to us and, and other people are using it. What's interesting is that we have a harder time with it when it belongs to the Father and he's entrusted us with it. I really, I want to say it to maybe instead of vine growers, maybe we should just get real and start calling them parents. How about parents? You've been entrusted with a vine. You've been entrusted with bearing fruit. You've been entrusted with a piece of the kingdom growing up in your house. Pastors, shepherds, ministers. The field's not yours. Some of you are like, yeah, the field's not mine, but I painted this wall. I didn't get permission to do it, but I painted this wall. You know, you know who you are, tenants. You get a little reckless with the, the paint. You're like, well, they can always paint it back. <laughs> Heavenly Father, help us. But what I want to point out here is that we, we brand things. We see a big wall, and we're like, I can put a sign on that wall. We see a big tower, and we're like, I can look out from that tower. And when we start to take too much ownership over things like the wall, the tower, the wine press, then we start to sing the song like, and I am making new wine. I'm going to press you until you die. And all your flesh I'm going to crucify. Shut up. Why? Because I'm righteous enough on the metric, the righteous meter. So, so like, it's okay for me to push you and just blame it on God. It's his field, right? It's his field. It's also his wine press. 
It's also his wall. It's also his tower. And doggone it if it's not his harvest. We've got to be stewards of this stuff. We've been entrusted with people's lives. People who are living in our house, people who are across the street, people who are sitting in our classes, in our greenhouses. We get territorial, though, don't we? Look at what happens. The Lord's saying, I'm just going to send a little envoy. Father, send some slaves. The landowner sends some slaves to go collect the harvest. You know, It's not that the people aren't going to get their share or their percentage. It's not that they're not going to get taken care of. They've probably been sneaking it all along, you know what I'm saying? But he's just going to get, you know, what it takes to sustain the place for the next season. Which kind of brings us to an interesting point. But I want to um, just have us write something down and maybe be a little convicted by it. But oftentimes, in order to avoid reconciling with God, we reject the ones he sends. See, the father is, you know, he treats us like kids. And there's a lot of like, hey, like, let's square up at the end of the week. There's a lot of like, all right, like, I know there's grace. There's grace on the season. See, you know, God's not, he doesn't have this thing where he's constantly breathing down your neck to make sure that you're doing the right thing. If anybody's ever done the wrong thing, you know. He wasn't there to be like, what are you doing? It was like, no, his kindness, a little bit later on, his spirit will like kind of lead you to repentance. And the more sensitive you become to that, then the sooner you stop, the sooner you, the sooner you catch yourself. Because you're like, I don't want that gross feeling of, you know, like I had last, I'm going to not do it. But what happens is, if we get it in us, if we get territorial over what we're doing for the kingdom, if we get territorial over, uh, you know, the, the class we're teaching or the ministry that we're leading or the, or the whatever it is that we have, even our own kids, well, aren't we supposed to be kind of territorial? You're supposed to be protecting them because you've in, been entrusted with them, but they're not yours. And sometimes... Watch this. This might hurt just a little bit. But to avoid reconciling with the Father to whom they really belong, we reject the ones he sends to help steward them. I feel like in my, in my observation... This is me. I'm going to step away from that. I'm going to pull a Jerry Falwell. I'm going to sidestep the pulpit. I'm not preaching right now. I'm just going to say this, okay? For those of you with with kids, um, don't be afraid of other godly influences in their lives. Ironically, we end up, again, because of that conviction thing, we reject the godly influences and we bring them into a world of other influences. And the enemy has every open door that he could imagine because of all the worldly things that they're exposed to. But when it comes to a man or woman of God coming along or a pastor or a teacher or a, or a, a spiritual father or mother coming along and saying, hey, like, you think this is, you think, 
you feel like this is good? Like, is this bearing the right kind of fruit, like the eternal kind of fruit? Or is this something that ends up actually pulling them away from that and putting them in this? We reject that one. We don't want to square up with God. Those are our kids. And we're doing a darn good job raising them. Some of the, some of the and again, over a period of years now, decades, when, when I take in families and, you know, Ashley and I, we're praying for families and talking through families and parents and kids and grandkids and multi-generational stuff, patterns that you see. Um, it's like sometimes we don't find what we want to find. Sometimes the things don't add up. Sometimes the, the most isolated spiritually often does not create the most fruitful results. The, the ones where we do everything to cut off every outside influence or where we're, where we're insulating and isolating and alienating other men and women of God, by the way, who are wrong sometimes. Um, I know that uh, this coming Friday night, Chris and uh, Jesse are going to speak to uh, the Crown Middle School group and uh, to talk about purity. That's a sensitive issue, especially for a mixed bag of parents who are kind of wrestling with, you know, what do we expose our kids to? What do we tell them about? What do we teach them about? You know, I don't want anybody talking to my kids but me about that stuff. And what's crazy is that God never intended it to be that way. I don't think it's a verse in the Bible that says it takes a village, but you can bet that the whole tribe was in on it. You know why? Because there were some people who were gifted to speak and to instill and to train in certain areas. Chris and Jesse Eckholm are gifted and anointed by God to instill a really, really sensitive subject like purity into our kids. And if they weren't, we never would have let them. I'd have been like, yeah, I don't think so. Maybe like young adults or something. I don't know. Probably not the middle school group. No. You know who speaks to the young adults about purity? Somebody like me. Somebody who has no filter. You know what I'm saying? In fact, sometimes they don't even let me talk to singles. It's like, you can only do marriage ministry because then at least it's like two on one, you know? But the, but, but listen, don't, don't clam up. That's fear. That's not the Lord. We're not called to a spirit of fear or anxiety or nervousness about this. We're called to walk out boldly. And if you want to be the first one to talk to your kids about parents, I mean, to talk to your kids about purity, they need a conversation about parents too, though. Like other people's parents and how it's okay for other people's parents to tell them to stop doing something and for them to stop. I don't know. Anyway, whatever. That's another message. I only have 20 minutes left. Jesus Christ, help us. But here's the deal. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, if you want to have that conversation, you have all week to have it. And then send your kids on Friday night to hear it from an expert. Not me, Chris. I'm like, an expert. I'm an expert, but just in, like, other things. Like, anyway, we'll stop with that. I think sometimes that territorial stuff, it gets, it gets scary. And we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. That avoiding the reconciliation with God, 
by rejecting the ones he sends, we justify it by saying this, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard it. We justify it by saying, well, if God wants this or that, he can do it himself. Well, if God wants to tell me that, he can do it himself. Well, if God wants to say, if God wants to make this happen, then he can do it. Yes, he can do it. But ought we not let him do it the way he wants to? I feel like I'd rather let him do it the way he wants to because if it's the way I want to, then that includes me having to learn the hard way. And some of us, even in our pride, we learn the hard way, but we still don't change. So we've got to learn the hard way three different times. All the while, the Lord's saying, if you just would have sent, if you just would have trusted the one that I sent to you, if you just hadn't have stoned the messenger, oh, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you under my wings like a hen with her chicks, and yet every prophet I've sent you, you've stoned. Isn't that interesting? The prophets were the ones to do the gathering and the protecting. And those were the ones that they put to death. He could have done it himself. Well, if that's you in this room this morning, I'm going to tell you something and you can take it to the bank. What God really wants from us is the humility to receive a message we might not want to hear from a messenger we'd rather not hear it from. So he's going to do it on purpose. He's going to use the absolute thorn in your flesh. I'm speaking that over you this morning because it's good for us. Oh, does it have to be her? Lord, I don't trust her as far as I can throw her. And the Lord's like, well, good thing I'm throwing her. How about you trust her as far as I can throw her? Oh, (laughs) that wasn't even a good one. That was ridiculous. All right. God sends his son, but, and so he sends the slaves and then he sends the next slaves. And I, I was kind of like looking through history and I was looking at the judges and then the prophets. Um, and then, you know, even the monarchy, it's like God was sending people, um, every time. And it reminds me of the, the joke, you know, where there's like a flood, not that a flood is ever a joke, but you know, there's a flood and a guy, uh, you know, the floodwaters keep rising, keep rising. And the guy climbs up to his roof and a, and a canoe comes along to like save the guy. And the guy's like, no, God's going to save me. You heard this one, right? And then a motorboat comes by like a little bit later as the water's getting higher And the guys in the boat are like, get in the boat, you idiot. Like, what are you doing? And the guy's like, God's going to save me. You know who you are. And then he's standing on his tippy toes on what's left of the roof. And here comes a helicopter with a ladder. It's like, get on the ladder. The guy's like, God's going to save me. Over the helicopter sound, spotlights on him and everything. And the helicopter's like, forget this guy. There's other people. So, yes, the guy drowns. He goes to heaven, so it ends well. And he comes before the Lord. He comes before, it's not as dark as it seems. He comes before the Lord and he's like, why didn't you save me? And the Lord's like, I sent two boats and a helicopter. What do you want? We reject the messenger. Some of y'all, you've already rejected me because I'm wearing a hat and a t-shirt up here this morning. All right. 
I love you too, Shane. Shane Heatherson. I hear you. God sends his son. Finally, no matter how many messengers we've rejected, God sent his son. And his son comes. But I want to just be clear on this. It's important. Because this same mistake that the overseers make, we make it. The vine growers, the ministers, the, the, the ones who've been entrusted with the field, we make this mistake, saints. We mistake a legacy for threat. The father says, I'm going to send my son. Surely they'll respect him. Surely they'll honor him. He actually says, yeah, they will respect. Surely they're going to respect my son, right? He's the one. He's wearing the ring. He's got my spirit. He comes in on a cloud like this is the guy, virgin birth, like raising the dead, everything that was prophesied. He sends his son, and we mistake legacy as a threat. If you're writing things down, write this down. Legacy looks like a threat when you can't see past the season you're in. See, that was the problem. That was the problem that the, 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 the ones who were entrusted with the vine, that was what they didn't get. You see, the son came to make this a perpetual thing. The son came, Jesus came, and, and as the eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek, the, the, he didn't come as a, just another temporary, he didn't come as just another slave, just another prophet. See, that's the problem with a lot of uh, like versions of, I can't even call it Christianity out there, but they're like, I think Jesus was a prophet. He was a good man. He was a prophet. Yeah, I can agree with that. No, you can't agree with that. Either Jesus was the son of God and the only way back to him, or he was a stark raving lunatic. No gray area, no prophet, no Muhammad, no good man. No, he was the son of God or a lunatic. You don't get one in between there. You don't get a lukewarm version of that, okay? And so what we have to understand here is that he comes to make this thing perpetual, something that we could, in our absolute best efforts, make one lifetime, one lifetime. And if we can't see past the season we're in, what Jesus comes to do looks like a threat. Why? Because all we're living for is this season. And at very best, the next. It's interesting. The world comes up with like 100-year plans. It was like Budweiser, one of the big beer companies, and the CEO was like famous. He was in a magazine article or something that's talking about how he had a 100-year plan for the company. And I thought that was so funny because it's like we, we, like, we have, you know, retirement plans, and that's about as far out as we go. We're not thinking past this season. In fact, we're, we're, we're going to die on the mountain of this season. We're going to do everything we can to protect this season from the very one who's entrusted it to us. When you can't see past this season. The gift of Jesus Christ was the open door through which we can bring our lives and the fruit our lives bear back before the Father, where everything we can do, our best efforts. See, we weren't, 
We were never called to stop doing good deeds. We were called to do good deeds and bring them before the Father. That's what makes good deeds eternal. That's what makes them worth something. There's like a, there's a theology that's like, oh, you know, it's not about good deeds. And, and probably they don't talk like that, but you know. And it's like, it's like this whole heart thing behind like works and deeds and how they're not of the Lord. But it's hard to, for me to get past, you know, Jesus's letters to the seven churches in Revelation. It's like, no, return back to the deeds you did at the beginning. Why? Not that the deeds were necessarily any different, but the deeds you did at the beginning were for the Father. Everything you did, whether it serviced somebody out in the world or somebody in the church or, or for your fam, whatever it was, everything you did, it was through Jesus so that your fruit could arrive at the feet of the Father, so that the crowns could fall at the feet of the Father. Keep going. It's going to catch. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If all we see... If all we see it is as a sacrifice, we talk a lot about sacrifices. Thank you so much. If all we see it as as a sacrifice, whatever that is, if that's, if that's signing up to serve or if that's, uh, you know, uh, coming out on work days or if that's uh, going into downtown with Stephen and Pastor Daniel um, and doing street minute, if, if, if we see even our tithes, and all we see it as is sacrifice, then we're missing the point that it was never ours to begin with. Look what I'm giving up. No, look what you're giving back. Nobody called you to give up anything. Even the flesh you're supposed to crucify isn't yours. It's all semantics. When the apostles and, and the writers of the New Testament are saying, like, you've got to give it all. You've got you've to crucify your flesh daily and pick up your cross. And, and this is all about, you know, what we're giving up even unto death being martyrs. No, you're not your own. You were already bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus. And we're going to close right here. Maybe, Jamal, you should come and play, so I'll wrap this up. Finally, we learned something about to whom the kingdom will be given. Who is this nation? Who is this ethnos? Who are these people? Well, I love it when Jesus quotes scripture. It's always like so cool to me because he like knew it so well and he was like always applying it perfectly. And he quotes the stone which the builders rejected. This becomes the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Whose eyes? That nation's eyes. The wonder of Jesus. It was fresh in their eyes. And anything they do for the kingdom and any, anything they do in the field, any vine they tend fruit they grow, any walls they mend or towers they defend from. It's all for one end, that the Father gets it all back. Jesus illustrates this, walks this out, manifests it perfectly. It's interesting because 
if you back up a little bit, when it says, oh, I'm sorry, verse 43, therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. That producing, your Bibles translate that all over the place, but it comes from a Greek word, poieo. And it makes sense, producing the fruit. But here's the interesting thing. Here's why I don't think that that's enough of a translation. Because the old vine growers, the Pharisees, the old way of doing church, it was producing fruit. It just wasn't willing to turn that fruit over to the Father. It wasn't willing to submit to the Son. That word poieo, it doesn't just mean producing fruit, but it means, it means like yielding it. Like, like the, how the ground gives it to anybody who's going to pass by. It's like the ground yields the fruit. And then the vine growers who gather the harvest have to sort of yield it back, turn it over, release it. It's not just about what you can produce. That is New England. We can jive with that word. We are producers. <laughs> and we like to produce because we find value in it and worth in it. But saints, what we've been called to is, is this almost like reckless release of this stuff. We can even handle the, well, let one plant the seed and another water and another gather the fruit. But it's like, as long as we still have a say over it, as long as our eyes are on it every step of the way, hmm, what's it, where's it going now? This poyeo, this nation, it's, it's funny. These people who have their eyes on Jesus, they're almost, if I can say, distracted by their awe. They're doing what they're doing, but it's like their eyes are on heaven. So when the slaves show up to bring it back, it's not that they're not being good stewards or protective. It's that they're like, okay, sure, yeah. Like, I'm just like, I can't take my eyes off Jesus. Would you stand with me? I want to just close with this point because I found out something new when I was in this message. I know most of you guys think I know everything there is to know about the Bible, and that's mostly true. That's not even close to true. Not even close to true. But I found this as I was just like kind of going through how Jesus references himself. He does it a lot, but here he calls himself, he sort of acknowledges he's, he's identifying as the son of the landowner and now as the cornerstone. The cornerstone, the one the builders rejected. But that word cornerstone, some of your Bibles uh, will write like head of the corner. And it literally comes from two words, kaphale and gonia. And kaphale uh, is the, the feminine version of capto, which is where we get capstone from. Not just because it's at the top and the middle, but because it comes from this Greek cap, capto. And so that makes sense. Jesus is the head, right? But the head of what? The next word is a little more interesting, gonia. 
And this word, it means exactly what we think it means, like the corner of a building, like an external corner when you see on old stone buildings and there's that stone that's got the inscription in it of the year and the whatever of the building. But that word is also used and literally translated inside corner or secret place. Don't act like you knew that. Just be surprised with me, please. Nobody knew that in here except maybe Dave. Did you know that, Dave? He didn't know it. All right, yes. <laughs> Got you. Inside corner, what? Are you kidding? In fact, a couple of places, it's used like almost in a negative sense, like, like when Festus and Paul are interacting in the book of Acts, and Paul is saying uh, to, to some of the, the leaders, and he's saying, hey, this stuff, this has been pronounced and proclaimed to you publicly. This wasn't done in a gonia. This wasn't done in an inside corner. This wasn't done, most Bibles translate it, a secret place. What nation will inherit the kingdom? What people will finally, in the last days, be entrusted with the harvest? Those who don't just put Jesus out as the visible cornerstone with the inscription, we are a church of Jesus Christ. Anybody with a hammer and a chisel can dedicate a cornerstone. It's when he's the head of the secret place, the quiet place, the private place, the inside corner. As a kid, I spent a lot of time in the inside corner. Anybody in here? Stand in the corner. That was like one of my mom's favorite things. I think it was just to get me out of the room for a minute because there was like a certain corner. And then you literally go stand in it. But here's what's interesting. Even when you're in trouble, if he's the head of your inside corner, he'll meet you there. He'll meet you there. The corner, the angle where two places meet. When we allow the Lord to rule and reign in that place, that secret place, the place where all the ones that have gone before us, many of them, many of them, many of the ones who've been trusted, let's not kid ourselves. I'm not up here just to bad mouth, you know, pastors and ministries and all the things before us, but I want to be real about it. If for as long as I'm real about it, I stay humbled about it, okay? So maybe this is just for me, but I'm not going to like kid you into believing that, that we've gotten this right. We make a big to-do out of the, the cornerstone on the outside. We sing it, Christ alone, cornerstone. But, but so often it's, it's, yes, we want him in that prominent public place. Because if he wasn't there, we couldn't even identify what this group of people were with this morning. As a church, we can't, we, we, we've got to put his name on the sign so people know what we're about. But what we're about is what really happens in the inside corner the far reaches of the building, the belfry, the attic, the cellar, the closet, behind the curtain. Saints, this morning, if we can dedicate that place to him, if we can get out our hammer and chisel and go through the pain of engraving his name on the inside, 
corner, we'll be given that harvest. We'll be entrusted with that vine. Everything he's built, everything he's done. Listen, let me tell you, if that landowner built a wall, it's going to be the best wall you've ever seen. If he built a tower, you're going to be able to defend for miles. If he built a wine press, then it's going to be pitched just right, smooth, ready to turn that which would otherwise rot on the vine into something that gets better with time. So, Father, we trust you and we thank you. We thank you for entrusting us, even in our brokenness. And God, if, if there's anything in us that gets that territorial notion, if there's anything in us that, that has rejected um, pastors and teachers and men and women filled with your spirit who've come along and maybe will point out their, their weaknesses or their frailties in an effort to not have to receive what it is that they're saying, God, help us. It's so easy to do because we're all so broken, Lord. It's easy to, to pick and prod and poke and point at, at places where each other's gotten it wrong. But Lord, remind us that, that you've spent all of history using the ones that have gotten it wrong to bring truth, to minister peace. And finally, even when all of that's not enough, Lord, you gave us your son. Father, forgive us where we've mistaken that legacy for threat. Forgive us where we've been so short-sighted. Lord, I pray that you would find in this room this morning a people who would rise to the occasion of being distracted by you, that our eyes would be fixed on the marvelousness of Jesus. Lord, that, that we couldn't wait for you to come back from your journey, so we start bringing it to you, God. Every soul, every, every student, every one of our even biological sons and daughters, Lord, that we do everything we can. We take every opportunity to bring them into your house, into your presence. God, we open our hands of all that we've clung to that you might have what's yours. We love you and we give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Zach and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys, God bless you and have the best day of your life.